So 1 Peter 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 19 this morning. Let me try and get through this quickly. I'm excited. This morning, check this out. This morning, I didn't have to be here early. I actually got to show up pretty much at the same time as you guys, which is like, man, I want to revert to like, nah, I don't want to do that. It's kind of, I didn't, I, part of me didn't like it, but part of me understood the appeal of staying home and watching stuff on TV, right? Didn't have to put pants on. TMI. All right. First Peter chapter 4, ver- uh, verses 12 through 19. Let's read it, let's review, and then let's discuss. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to us through these verses that Peter is writing to the early church and to us. Lord, that we would take some truth, that we would apply it to our lives. Lord, that you would encourage us to persevere through the persecution that comes upon us as we are light in the midst of this darkness. Lord, as we are salt, Father, as we are going to rub people the wrong way because of what we stand up for and the good that we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us this morning. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit to understand the words that you are speaking. Lord, and to allow us to obey the spirit as we go forth the rest of this weekend and week. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. So again, what we've been discussing this entirety of this book is we've been talking about suffering and submission, suffering and submission. Now we continue with the theme of suffering, right? We continue with the theme of suffering. And one of the first things that we looked at, I think it was our very first study in 1 Peter, in verse 6, Peter warned us of various trials that were to come, the various trials that were to come. And and even in an earlier lesson, I think this was maybe four or five weeks ago, when we were in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses 13 through 18, our focus for that morning was preparing for persecution, right? That we need to be prepared because persecution is going to come, right? And Peter gave us instructions in those five verses of how we should prepare ourselves for persecution. If you don't remember, I'll give them to you really quick. There was four points in those verses. The first one was, remember you are blessed if you suffer for Christ. We see that in verse 14 of chapter 3. The second thing was that we are to sanctify the Lord in our hearts, right? That, that he is to be separate unto our hearts, in our hearts, to sanctify the Lord in our hearts, that there should be no other God before us. And remember, when God says that in the commands that there should be no other God, it's not, remember, it's not a pecking order. It's not God, me, my career, this, that, whatever. It's God. No, no, there should be nobody in front of my face is what God says. There should be nobody else. Right? So we're to sanctify the Lord 
God in our hearts. The third point that we got from Peter in preparing for persecution was always be ready to give a defense for the reason for your hope, right? In the midst of suffering and persecution and people doing this and that towards you, in the midst of a circumstance or a situation that you're in, you're, you're showing joy, you're showing peace, you're showing hope, right? People are curious about that. They ask, and what are you able to do? Are you able to give a defense? Maybe people are saying, well, Christianity's not right, right? Mormonism's the right way. Catholicism's the right way. Jehovah Witnessism is the right way. I just made that up. Jehovah Witness is the right way, right? Like, or, or uh, you know, uh, whatever else there is, right? I mean, there's millions, not millions, but there's tons of different religions and paths. But we know that what the Bible says, because the Bible has authority over everything, that the Bible says that Jesus is the only way, right? That Jesus is God, that Jesus himself also became a man, right? Died on our behalf, rose again through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Rose again, because nobody else can rise again except for God, and nobody can die except for man. So we know that Jesus was man and God, and he died on our behalf because of love. Because he loved us, God the Father loved us, right? He sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should what? Be saved, right? So we then, through the act of what Jesus did in him alone, and putting our faith in what he did in him, we are saved. What are we saved from? The judgment to come, right? From who? People? No, that's what we're learning this morning, that you are going to receive the judgment of people in this time, in this world, and go through persecution, but it is nothing in comparison to the judgment that's to come from a righteous and holy God who loves you, but at the same time, because of his justice, he will pour his wrath out on us if we reject him, right? That doesn't mean he's any less loving than what you once thought. He is very loving. It, it even actually proves his love, Right? I don't want a God that's just, you know, loving to, that, that, that doesn't show justice and doesn't care, right? But he does care. That the fact that he will pour out his wrath on those who reject him, but he's given people an opportunity to receive faith in him, right? That's, that's love. That really is love. And so the only way to, God, to, to salvation is through the act of what Jesus did and through faith. Faith and faith alone, right? You are saved by grace, through faith, continue, not adults, and not of what? Works, right? What does that mean? That it was this simple, tiny little faith that didn't even originate with me, but God gave me the grace of that faith to have, that I believed and I repented, and I believed, as Romans 10, 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth, and you believe that Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead, that you will be saved, it's as simple as that. It's all faith. It's faith, faith, faith. That's it. It's a tiny, simple, little faith that Jesus died for you. But it doesn't end there, right? That's where salvation starts, right? That's where salvation begins. And, and salvation cannot be taken away from you. But because we have then received salvation, we've received the seal of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 1 tells us, 
right? We've been received the spirit of God. Now that we are new creations, the old has passed away. We then move forward in the spirit of God, walking in the spirit of God as new creations. We've been given a new mind. We've been given a new heart, right? So I am saved by faith alone, but then once I'm saved, I walk in the spirit. And as I'm walking in the spirit, what happens? What do I do? I do good works, right? But I'm not saved by good works, but the good works are the proof of my faith to begin with, correct? So I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that then prepares me to do good works, right? I don't have a, I mean, I, I, Jesus puts it, that's very, to me, it's, it's simple to understand, right? That it's not of anything that I did that I received the grace of God and salvation. It's nothing. Because I know how bad of a person I am. I know that I can't stand before God and try to, you know, prove my good works to him. And, and I, can't even, I can't even, you know, outweigh my good works from my bad works. Because I, I can't even remember yesterday, right? And even if I kept a list, it's, it's non-existent because I know I have sinned once. And if I have sinned once, I have... I have I, have, uh, I haven't lived up to the standard that God has put, put out there for me, right? that I have not lived up to the perfection. So I know that I am saved by grace through faith alone. But since I've been shown the goodness and the grace of God, I then go and do good works, right? That's, that's a natural response to the faith that we've been given. And as we do that, listen, as you do that, you are going to suffer. You are going to perse- be persecuted. Isn't that a lovely thing to hear? You, guys, you know, when we go on retreats and we present the gospel and we're like, well, God, you know, God's going to, you know, he's going to give you the hope and he's going to wipe, wipe away every tear and, and, and all those things are true, right? But the one thing I love about Jesus is that he's just so, he knows what we need to hear, right? And he's not wishy-washy. He's not beating around the bush. You remember the disciple that came up to Jesus and said, you know, I want to follow you right? And Jesus is like, oh, sweet, dude. Somebody wants to follow me. That, that would be my response is that, okay, cool. Like somebody wants to go to church? Sweet. Somebody wants to get saved? Sweet. But Jesus said what? I'm gonna <laughs> what did he say? Basically, he told him to count the cost, right? He said, well, you know, uh, well, there's different different situations in the Gospels where this happened, but basically to count the cost, that there is a cost to following me. And a lot of these disciples who then wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus challenged them to do certain things, right? Like one was to, well, leave your, father, leave your family, right? And the disciples like, well, I don't want to leave my family quite yet because my dad's in the process of dying, right? And, but we could all say that. All of our dads are in the process of dying, Correct. And that's exactly what the guy was saying. It wasn't like, you know, he's on his deathbed and he's about to die. No, it was like he could die any moment or he could die in the next 10 years. What are you going to do? Wait to follow me for 10 years? That's not what, what Jesus requires of us, right? Remember, we should have no other God before him, even if that's our parents. Then he's told one of the other disciples, well, why don't you go sell all that you have and give to the poor? And the guy's like, dude, I got a lot, <laughs> kind of like my, you know, my toys, my new PS5, right? My, my new girls, I can't relate to you, so I don't know what you like, <laughs> but your stuff, right? Barbie, no. Barbies, no. 
things, things and stuff. We all have things and stuff, right? Ladies, you got your favorite outfits. You got, you know, shoes or uh, makeup or uh, tell me something other that's like not super girly. Coffee, coffee mugs, right? You got your favorite coffee mug. Are, are we willing, you know, guys, it's just video games for guys. You know, are we, are we able to give up those things? Are we able to sacrifice stuff to follow Jesus? And Jesus makes those claims because, listen, he says up front, are you, able, are you able to count the cost? Are you able to do this now? Because if you don't do it now, you're definitely not going to do it later. Because your father is going to become a hindrance to you following me. Your things and your stuff and your possessions are going to become a hindrance to following me. Right? We do not find our faith in God through things or people or circumstances. Right? It's in him alone. So when we suffer, when we lose things, when our family turns our back on us because we decide to follow Jesus, right? When, when we lose things because we decide to follow Jesus and we become more of a giver than a taker, it shows the world that as we are suffering or when we're in persecution— that our faith and our hope is not found in people or things, it's found in God alone. If I can have hope in Jesus when I am stripped of everything, that shows that my faith was originally in him to begin with. But Jesus tells us that we have to count the cost before we start to follow him. So when we give the gospel message, again, yeah, it sounds amazing. It is amazing. There's nothing better than it. But we also have to know that being a Christian is not easy. It's not what Joel Osteen makes it out to be, right? You cannot, like, an inspiration cube sounds amazing, right? That, like, you can just, you know, not go through any hardship and persecution and, and just be, you know, inspired every morning, right? I don't need Joel for that. I need the Bible for that. I need God for that. But I also have to know that as Peter's going to warn us, and he's been warning us, that this life, remember, it's not our best life now our best life is to come and so being a christian is going to be hard okay it's going to be hard but anything that we like to do that we love anything that's worth is going to be hard to begin with right but let's look at this in first peter chapter 4 verse 12 peter's already shown us how to prepare for persecution now he's going to show us how to persevere through persecution okay not just to prepare for it now, for you and I, as we go through persecution, thankfully, right now, we're not persecuted physically, right? Although that can happen. Right now, it's usually, you know, verbal. Uh, it's through social persecution. Uh, but one thing we're going to come to find out and that's going to challenge us is, am I being persecuted? Right? Am I being persecuted? And that's a big question, and we'll get to why that's a big question and how we answer that question in a little bit. So first thing that Peter tells us to our benefit to persevere through persecution is to expect it. To know that it's going to come, right? Like Jesus said to the disciples that wanted to follow him, look, there, you are going to be treated the same exact way that I am going to be treated. Remember, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was good. Jesus is all loving. And even in that, people persecuted him. Peter says in verse 12, Beloved, I'll just stop there. <laughs> I think Peter's like, okay, this is going to be really hard for you to hear. So he starts off with a gentle beloved, right? A, 
a very like dear friend. The Greek, it's a Greek adjective of agapateos. It means pertaining to one who's dearly loved, dear beloved prized. All right, so sometimes we use the personal address when we have to say something that is hard to hear, right? So beloved, Peter reassures his readers back then and now too of his love for us, those who are must who must suffer. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter twice in this verse, in verse 12, twice he stresses a point. He says, do not think it strange. Do not think it strange as though some strange thing happened to you. Twice he says this. And remember, as he's writing to the early Christians, they themselves were surprised that they should suffer right it's like i think our mentality i think even the world's mentality for a christian is that there is no suffering that is just all blessing right but remember jesus is the opposite in the anti-world that no it's not just all blessing there is suffering but the funny thing about it is that there's blessing in the suffering right so do not be surprised. That's what that means. To, to Do not think it's strange. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. The Greek verb is, it means to cause a strong psychological reaction through introduction of something new or strange, astonish, surprise. So none of you are off the hook now, right? You, you all are now prepared to know that persecution is coming. Right, that suffering's coming, coming, right? Because you all heard it right now. None of us can say and plead ignorance because we all read it right here in verse 12 that we are not to think it strange or be surprised concerning the fiery trial which is to try us as Christians. Okay, we have been warned. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will suffer persecution. Uh, persecution and suffering was something that the early Christians, even themselves, uh, had to face. We see that in the next chapter when we get to it, possibly next week or the week after. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. For those of us who are truly following Jesus Christ, that we are the wheat and not the tare, yes, you will experience suffering, but it's nice to know that we are all experiencing suffering, that we are walking through it together. So even the early Christians felt this. Jesus even warned his disciples of hard times to come. He says, look, the world's going to hate you. Look, if you were of the world, they would what? They would love you, right? But you are not of the world, so they're going to hate you. And, and he, then he goes on to say, that basically, because you're a follower of me, and because you, a, 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 a student is not greater than his, his teacher or his master, then you're going to receive the same thing. So what are these fiery trials? And why does Peter even use the word fiery? It's interesting because, listen, we as Christians, we go through suffering, but so does the world, right? Like, like, it's not just like, oh, Christians are the only ones that get cancer. Correct? No, there's even, I mean, everybody is 
susceptible to that. So, so what's, what's the difference between the two? Because both are fire, right? Both, both have to go through suffering. For Christians, it's a little bit different. For us, as Jesus is, is putting us through the fire, he's allowing us to go through the fire rather than just separating us and taking us out, right? Kind of like what he did for the Israelites in the midst of uh, the 10 plagues, right? He kind of protected them from the plagues. But no, now, like you and I, we have to suffer in the same way. And, and as Christians, even worse because of the persecution that's going to come upon us. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, we, we discuss this. In verses 6 through 7, Peter says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does the fire do to Christians? Does it burn us up? No, what does it do? It strengthens, it purifies, it proves the genuineness of your faith. How are we to know that we even have faith unless it is tested, right? I could say all day long that if I sit in that chair, it's gonna hold me up when I sit in it. But the proving of my words is doing what? <laughs> Sitting in it, yeah, and leaning back, right? Sit in it. It's actually going through it. And so when Jesus allows us to go through suffering, it's not to burn us up and destroy us. It's actually to strengthen us and purify us. Like in gold, all the, the, the junk gets burned off, right? All the junk within us as we realize that we really need to just trust in Jesus Christ alone that we need to repent of our sin and follow him, that then we see the proving and the genuineness of our faith that it is tested. It's kind of like when we work out, right? There has to be some type of, of resistance. Can you get any stronger if you just, you know, I don't know, do the reps and everything without any weights? No, right? Like you need weights. You need resistance. You need to go through something to actually strengthen yourself. And so God allows us to go through the fiery trials. Listen, persecution, it's not easy. And I won't stand up here and pretend like, you know, it is. It's, it's not. It's hard. It's painful. The word fiery here, the Greek, it's the Greek word, the Greek noun, pyrosis. It means an intense degree of some painful occurrence or experience, burning ordeal. It's where we get our word. Anybody know? Pyro like pyromaniac. There's probably a few in here. And another word that Peter used to describe our sufferings is trial or an ordeal. And the Greek word for that means an attempt to learn the nature or character of something to test and to try it. And so as we go through these fiery trials, it's to prove the genuineness of our faith, right? We even see that with the example and the character of, of Job, right? That's why God allowed the devil to bring persecution upon him. You guys remember that? You can read in, in Job chapter 1, I believe, that, that, uh, that dialogue. And it wasn't easy for Job, right? It was not easy. I mean, he went through some things that hopefully none of us will ever have to experience. Hopefully Job was just an example, right? <laughs> but I don't know. Like... If Satan wanted to go to God and 
test me and God said, well, there's no one like him and go ahead, then I'd be honored. But I would, in my flesh, I'd be like, mm, go to the next guy, right? Anyways, but even as God blessed Job after his trials, right? Because God did bless him. He will bless us. And 1 Peter 5.10 says, But may God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you had suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Listen, first comes the cross, and then what? Then comes the crown. First comes the cross, then comes the crown. Don't be surprised if you are facing ridicule, backlash, people turning your, their backs on you, or even at some point, physical persecution for the cause of Christ. Listen, and one thing that we're going to come to find out as we read through this is that you better be being persecuted because you're following Jesus, okay? Not because you're a Trump supporter, not because you're a Black Lives Matter supporter, and I'm not saying either one's right or wrong or good or bad. I'm just using them as examples because they're prime examples in the world that we live in right now. That if you go to a Black Lives Matter rally and you show up with a Trump shirt on, what do you think is going to happen to you? And, and vice versa, maybe not so much, but you get the point. Even if you go to a, the, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles football game and you wear a Cowboys jersey, what's going to happen to you? Right? Like... Like, don't, don't then go do that and be like, I'm being persecuted. No, that's, <laughs> that's not being persecuted because you're following Jesus, right? We're not, gonna be, we're not supposed to be being persecuted because of those circumstances or because we've done something bad or we've made somebody mad, you know, unless we are sharing the truth in love. But other than that, if you're just being a punk or you're just being rude or something else, that, that's not the persecution that Peter is warning us of. We're to be persecuted because we are following Jesus and him alone. Because the light will expose the darkness. That we are walking in the truth. Right? So I want to throw that out there. And even Peter's going to mention it to us in verse 15. That none of us suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Right? Like if you're a murderer, are you going to be persecuted and suffer? Yeah, of course. That's you deserve that. We even talked about that earlier in chapter three. That that you're not you're not. It's who cares if you suffer for doing bad. That's what you deserve. But when you suffer for good, that's commendable, right? When you've done nothing wrong, when it's just straight up unfair, because you're doing what is right, what is good, and you're following Jesus. And I can't wait to get to verse fifteen because it's interesting. But verse thirteen. Let's continue. It says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, and on their part he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Listen, we are able to rejoice in persecution. Earlier I said persecution and suffering is not easy. And that's a correct statement. It's not easy. But that doesn't mean that we're not able to rejoice in the midst of it. Right? Now, that is a hard thing to do if you're trying to get through persecution or suffering on your own. Trust me. I, I believe that. I know that. But if we are following and we are abiding in Christ, we will understand and we will know and we will be able to rejoice in the suffering that comes from following Jesus. 
you are called to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Listen, this isn't something new. Jesus taught this. He taught it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Uh, Paul even talked about it in Romans 5 when, uh, when he found a reason to glory in tribulations. James talked about it. Remember when we studied that in verse or chapter 1 when he said that uh, we should uh, have joy in the midst of trials, right? It's, it's one of the most re- remarkable teachings that we are able to experience joy while we are suffering for Christ. It seems like an oxymoron, right? <laughs> that that it's, it's impossible. There's joy in suffering, but this paradox is the clear teaching of both Jesus and his apostles. Rejoice means to be in a state of happiness and well-being, to be glad. Now, why should we rejoice in suffering for Jesus? Well, Peter gives a few examples in these two verses. The first one is that we're able to participate in the same sufferings as Jesus Christ, that we are privileged to share in the same sufferings. To partake is the Greek verb koinonio, means to share and have a share. It comes from the adjective koinos, pertaining to being of mutual interest or shared collectively, communal, common. And the noun, koinonia, you guys have heard that word? It means communion, fellowship, participation, and sharing. We are sharers and participants in Jesus' sufferings. And, and with that, we also know that we will partake and share with his blessings as well. Jesus said in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Remember, be warned that you will suffer and face persecution, but you will be in the same persecution and sufferings as Jesus. The second thing uh, is we anticipate eternal rewards because we suffer in his name. Not anybody else's name, not any other organization, or not anything else. It's because of him and him alone. So a second reason to rejoice is that we know that when we stand before him, when he returns, when his glory is revealed, that we will be greatly rewarded for our suffering. We will be greatly rewarded. Listen, we're to anticipate his coming, to know that we're going to be rewarded. And it, it kind of seems like, I don't know, kind of wrong sometimes that, like, I don't want to do things for a reward, right? But it's clearly in the Bible that that we will be rewarded for certain things. So it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong that we're to be rewarded for certain things that we do, and we will be. When Jesus comes, there should be an, an excitement, an overflowing of joy as we prepare for him to come. The third thing is that, uh, that we are persecuted because of Christ in us, because of the name of Christ. So the so third reason for rejoicing and suffering is that your persecutors have noticed something about you worth persecuting. In verse 14, it says, if you are reproached, and reproached means what? It means insulted or reviled, right? So when, when somebody says something to you or something about you that is evil, that is bad. For the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Right? So when we're insulted, when we're reviled, 
It means to find fault in a way that demeans the other, reproach, revile, mock, heap insults upon as a way of shaming. Listen, are, are you being persecuted that way? And if, and if the answer is no, what do you think that reveals about you and me? Or you, just you, because we're answering for ourselves. If I'm not being persecuted in that way, what does that, what does that prove about me? It's interesting, last night, Winnie and I were scrolling through YouTube, and I'm not gonna name any names because it, it doesn't matter. But there was this debate going on between these two guys about a famous Christian artist and whether he's, whether, whether he's really standing up for what is truth or if he's just standing up for the truth that kind of only lines up with how the way the world sees, right? Like not speaking out against abortion. Because if you speak out against abortion as, you know, somebody who's famous, you know, you're going to get backlash, right? Even, even if you, you know, don't even, let's say, like support Trump, but that you respect him as a president, as a celebrity, as somebody famous, you're going to receive backlash, Right? Or if you stand up for anything that pertains to truth in the Bible, because what's going to happen is it's going to go against the way the world thinks and sees and feels, right? So you're going to receive backlash. And so one of the things the guys were saying was, well, this Christian artist, he gets no backlash, right? Because all he's, he's not really standing up for truth, because if you were standing up for truth, you would be persecuted, right? You will be reviled. You will be insulted. You will be mocked, right? I mean, Jesus said it best. Look, you're not of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you. So that says something. If the world loves us and we're not being persecuted by the world, then we're doing something wrong, correct? Am I, am I, is my thinking wrong on that? Because I think the Bible clearly states that you and I are to be persecuted. Remember, we're not going to be persecuted because we're doing dumb stuff and we're being weird, it's because we're standing up for what is right and what is truth. And when we do it, we do it in love and gentleness. I can still be bold in loving. Okay? I can still be bold in loving. Are we persecuted because of, what does he say? The name of Christ? If you are reproached for the name of Christ, he says, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen, persecution is a sign that others have seen Christ in you, and that should give you joy. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness, not unrighteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, here's the question that you should answer this morning. If you are never persecuted, what does that say about how people view you? If you are never persecuted, are you not standing up for truth? Are you not bold about it in love? Is it not noticeable to people? Now, for you and I, it's, it's, I guess it, might, it may be a different sacrifice than it is for, I guess, a famous Christian artist, right? I guess, in a sense, they have more to lose because they have a fan base and they have this and that, whatever. But 
listen, the reward's going to be the same in heaven. That, and, and people should see and notice. They're like, I, I don't want to be mocked and reviled, but I know that I should be because I'm standing up for truth and I'm standing up for Jesus. The fourth thing is the Spirit of God helps us. We see that at the end of verse 14, is that if we are reproached for the name of Christ, that we're blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That you are not alone in your persecution. The Spirit comes to help. The Spirit comes to help. Look, the world's going to blaspheme God. They will blaspheme Jesus. But our goal is to glorify him. Verse 15, let's try to finish up. It says, but, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. <laughs> this is an interesting verse, okay? And I, and I think this is necessary for all of us. When you're a murderer, that's not good. This is a very interesting list. So we got murderer, thief, evildoer, and then what's the fourth thing? A busybody in other people's matters. <laughs> that's an interesting one. Right, that, that Peter is able to link all four of these, you know, in the same sentence, in the same breath. Okay, he says, don't, you know, don't suffer because you're a murderer. You know, again, he says that we are to suffer for righteousness, be persecuted because of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Right? So don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody or a meddler in other people's matters. It's very simple. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't do evil. And what's the fourth thing? Yeah, mind your own business, right? That's a good one. Mind your own business. Listen, whether it's now at this age or the age to come, this is for everyone. I wish, I wish even all of us knew it as adults to stay out of people's business. That We see it often throughout scriptures that we're not to gossip, that we're not to slander, Right, that we're not to, to spread false rumors. And sometimes we can do that by being a busybody in other people's matters. Right? Just listen. Worry about yourself. Okay? First and foremost. You know, worry about the own plank in your own eye first. Right? Don't be caught being busy in other people's matters. You know, don't don't be trying to find, you know, the hot, you know, news and gossip and this and that about, oh my gosh, she did what? He said that? They did that? You know, dude, stay away from it. It's, it's as simple as that. And you will be blessed because then you don't have to worry about all the other junk that's happening out there. It is, it is a freedom that comes from it. So Peter says, do not be a busybody, busy busybody in other people's matters. Don't suffer for that reason. Because if you do, you are going to suffer, but it's the wrong type of suffering. Okay. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, not a busybody Christian, just a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We don't need to be ashamed, right? We can glorify God in it. It says in verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And here we can consider the consequences of not remaining faithful. We all know that God allows persecution of the righteous 
because it refines and it purifies and improves the genuineness of our faith, but it's also a way for him to judge the house of God, right? Approving of your faith, in a sense, is a way to judge us. And Peter says that it starts the house of God. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for, wi- for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Listen, you have your fire now, right? But remember, the fire is not to, di- to, to burn you up and distinguish you. It's to purify you and to strengthen you and to prove the genuineness of your faith. But those who are ungodly, right, those who reject Jesus, their fire is not now, it's when. It's to come, right? It is to come, and that fire is the fire that will punish them. It's the same fire that consumes straw will purify gold. The fire is the same, but its purpose and application is different, and its its effect is different upon the straw and the gold. Even so, Christians do suffer some of the same things the ungodly do, yet the purpose of God is different and the effect is different. Listen, Peter says, if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I mean, he says, look, look how bad it is with those who have to suffer now for Christ. Imagine how bad it is those who don't have Christ and reject him and then have to receive the judgment of him to come. A judgment that is not the proving of the genuineness of your faith, but a judgment that is, right, is righteously given to the unrighteous. That's going to be pretty bad. And he questions it here. I mean, imagine that. To those that do not obey the gospel of God, it is a very, very sobering application. It is clear in what Paul is showing us that if God's children experience this now, What will become of those who have made themselves his enemies to come? How can they ever have hope to stand before the judgment and the wrath of God? And Peter goes on to say in verse 18, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? The word scarcely in the Greek, it means pertaining to being hard to accomplish with difficulty. Real discipleship and genuine following after Jesus is something That is a hard thing to do. So we kind of understand why Peter then quotes Proverbs 13 or Proverbs 11 when he says the righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If this is not a warning to those who do not obey the gospel of God and who do not stand up for righteousness and who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have not been born again, I don't know what else is. It's a warning. In verse 19, he closes it here. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So as we're persevering through persecution, 
we can be successful if we commit ourselves to God and to know that as we are going through this suffering, that it's part of the will of God. It's his will for you. If it's his will, and it's, he's also warned us, don't be surprised when it comes. So Peter gives us two instructions here in the end, at the end of uh, chapter 19, verse 19, the end of chapter 4. Two instructions to help you persevere through persecution. One is to trust your life fully to God, to commit it, right? Not just a little bit of it. Remember, he said, count the cost, you know, walk away from your parents, give up all that you have, and come follow me. It is to fully commit your life to Jesus Christ. Now, now I want to throw this out there. When, when God told the, when Jesus told the guy, you know, to leave your father, and he's like, well, he's, he's dying, and let me wait to follow you. Or even when Jesus says in the Gospels, you know, uh, that he, he wants us to love him more than our, our parents and our siblings and this and that. What it, what it does is when we follow Jesus, it makes it, it, makes it seem like that like we're not to love our, how does he say it? Somebody help me because I forget verbatim what it says. Yeah, he says to hate them, okay? He says to hate your father and mother. You're like, I obeyed one thing in the Bible. <laughs> To hate your siblings, to hate whatever, right? But it, I want I want to I want to try to clear it up for you. If you do not follow Jesus wholeheartedly and single-heartedly, you cannot love your spouse, your parents, your friends, your siblings in the in the in the best way possible. Okay. So. When he says to hate your family, it means I love Jesus so much, I am so dedicated to him that it almost looks like I hate them. But you don't because it, that doesn't line up with the way that, that the gospel is and that Jesus teaches and the word teaches is that we're to love everybody, right? So it has the appearance because we are con so committed to him. And when I am so committed to him, I am able to be a better giver of my things I am able to be a better brother to my siblings or a sister to my siblings. I'm, better, I'm, be, I'm going to be able to be a better spouse once you guys have a spouse. Pushing Jesus to the side and loving your family is not going to be effective. But following Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to love them better than anybody would ever love them. But it starts with you following Jesus single-heartedly. And as, as Paul says, or Peter says here, that we are to commit ourselves, to commit ourselves, to commit our souls to him, to trust our life fully in God. And you will be the best everything to everyone if you fully follow him. We're to be faithful, to trust in him. And we're to continue he says, commit their souls to him in doing good, that we're to continue in doing good. So that's the second thing. The first thing is to trust God fully, and the second thing is to continue in doing good. To continue in doing good. Sometimes our reaction to persecution is, you know, as Peter said earlier, you know, don't, don't return evil for evil, reviling for, for revile. Sometimes our reaction is to return evil for evil, right, or to say something, or to mock, or or sarcasm, or kind of a selfish attitude, you know. But he says that our reaction should not to be to do that, but rather to do good works. 
to continue to be to do good works now why last thing why should we commit ourselves to god again to verse 19 because he's a faithful creator he is a faithful creator listen as a creator he has the power to do what what is right in the end right and as faithful somebody who is trustworthy he can be trusted to do what is right in the end let's pray Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the warning, Lord, and the encouragement, the warning to to know that we are going to suffer and be persecuted, that this life is not going to be easy, but for the encouragement of knowing that we're not going to do it alone, Lord, that we are going to partake in the same sufferings that you went through, that the Spirit of God is going to rest upon us, Lord, that we can be joyful even in the midst of the hardship. Lord, I pray that you would teach us that. Lord, even knowing that as we go through these things, that we're to trust in you and you alone, that it proves the genuineness of our faith. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen us through persecution and through trials and through suffering. Lord, allow us to be persecuted for what is right and not for what is wrong. Lord, that we'd be persecuted for your name's sake and nothing else, not because of our own selves, not because of anyone else, and not because of any other organization, not even for a church, but for you and you alone. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your truth that we heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.